Okay. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Unified Visions Transcending Division series. Today, we are thrilled to bring you another compelling story that sheds light on the remarkable journeys and lived experience of undocumented immigrants. Today, we are joined by the incredible Yamali Rhodes. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yamali Rodas. Yamali Rodas, thank you very much. Um, a queer Guatemalan immigrant, a youth organizer from south side of Chicago. Um, Yamali um, activism and advocacy efforts focus on civic engagement and social justice work at the local, regional, and national levels. Their leadership roles in nonprofit organizations are dedicated to advancing immigrant, queer, Black, Indigenous, and the intersection of these identities, researching opportunities and resources, and implementing projects to address social barriers faced by marginalized groups. Recently, um, their essay was published in the Let This Radical You, Reflections from New Age Activists and Organizers. So their essay was published in there. And can you tell us where we can find that? So if people want to buy a copy or check it out, they can go ahead and do that. Yeah, so it's on um, the Interrupting Criminalization website. You can just Google the title. Um, it should be in like the issue.com. So it's like uh, it's available for anyone who wants to read it. I can also send you the link. Um, yeah, there's a virtual copy. Yes, okay. I would love that. We can definitely include that. Um, so just to get started, my name is Josiah Bapari. My pronouns are he, him. And yes, we're so happy that you joined us today. Can you just, I know I gave a quick introduction, but can you go ahead and give us like a little short background about your name, pronouns, where you're from, and just anything you'd like to share just um, briefly? Yeah, so I'm Yamali Rodas. I use they, them pronouns. I identify as a um, non-binary pansexual individual, and I grew up in the South Side, but I was born in Guatemala. I'm an undocumented um, individual, and like just living in the south side of Chicago is, you know, it's tough for like youth growing up. And um, like I tell everyone, a lot of us here, like we do the best we can to help our community. Um, the organizing world here is amazing. Like you would never be left out of anything. You need something, community organizers, they got you. So um, I actually started community organizing work and I didn't even knew, like I didn't even know the terminology of it. Um, like three years ago, the pandemic, like a lot of or like young organizers started off with, you know, like a lot of undocumented people weren't getting the supports they needed because of their status and, you know, they didn't get no stimulus check, they had to work. So a lot of them contracted COVID, especially in Little Village. And that just um, made like, I was like, this is messed up, you know, somebody needs to like help them get some resources. So I was like, yeah, I have capacity and bandwidth and stuff. So I kind of reached out to a lot of community organizations and like local businesses. And I was like, hey, can you give me like, you know, like some food, some groceries and stuff like that. And then I would create this community events where I like distribute these things. Um, I leveraged a lot of the resources that a community had to offer and just kind of made it very accessible for undocumented people. So yeah, like I didn't even know that was mutual aid work and I was doing it. So that just started, um, I'm currently 18 and I'm like gonna be going to McAllister College studying sociology and Latin American studies. So yeah, I just hope to continue these efforts. 
um, in Minnesota because I'm moving out of Chicago. And I hope to like go pursue academia and have like research based campaigns. Um, so yeah, that's all about me and what I am and what I want to do in the future. Well, first of all, congratulations on college and being 18 and this impassioned as you are, I think is so beautiful. And it's also, I think this is a testament to everybody listening. I want to kind of reiterate that sentiment that when you see a need in your community, I feel like oftentimes people feel like, well, what can I do about it? You know, who can do something about it? And the truth is that if you see a need, you can take action. And the same way that you saw a need within your community, you said, I'm going to take action and I'm going to find my purpose and do the work. So you called your organization, you got food for your community. And I just think that's a beautiful thing for people to recognize and to also kind of take back within their own communities. That if there's a need that you see, make sure that you take care of that need. Make sure that you're on the front line of making that change. And if nobody else is doing it, then be that person, even if it is scary. Because I can imagine that you said three years ago and when the pandemic started, so you were just around like 16, 17 when you were kind of starting a lot of that movement. And what was that like as a young activist kind of entering this like sphere, especially being, you know, undocumented? Were you a little bit nervous to kind of enter this space? Was it kind of a situation where you felt like, you know, I'm too young, I don't know if I can make a change? Because I know a lot of times with young people, especially, we feel like there's not a lot that we can do. But how how do you see yourself in that situation and what would you tell others who are young like that and who are a little bit nervous or undocumented and feel like well there's nothing I can do yeah so I think the like kind of like the biggest obstacle I had to deal with and something that I had to navigate is just like know how to navigate around is my parents that's the, like a lot of young people's main issue <laughs> like well we love our parents right but um, especially being undocumented and having undocumented parents, you know how they are. They're like, no, no te metas in eso. Like, don't get into that. Like, you're going to get in trouble. Oh, like, yeah. How do yeah. I know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then it's that was like my main obstacle. My mom be like, I know. Like, no one helps you. You know, like that, that like assimilated mindset of like, no one helps you. Why should you help them? Mm -hmm. um, while like before they came to the Americas, they, like to the United States, they weren't like that. They were very family centered and like that assimilating and having to kind of like um, teach our parents that like, even though we didn't get that help, like we should be the like the people that help. So like, you know, offer that help and we should change that narrative of like wanting, like, you know, being individualistic and being like, no, we don't care about community. Like we have to be there for ourselves and stuff like that. So. Um, yeah, having to like navigate with my mom and kind of explain to her why I needed to do these things was kind of my biggest challenge as a young person, because, of course, I can't do anything without my mom's permission. Like, you know, she could be like, no, or like it's too dangerous to be walking around there because I would do a lot of outreach. Like literally, I would be out there for three hours, like kind of advertising this event and like asking for, you know, resources. And my mom would be like, I know you can't be out there you're gonna get like shot you know like she was like very exaggerated like it, I mean it's real I could have because um there is an issue with gang um like gun violence here but um my yeah it's just like having to 
be able to have those conversations with your parents, but not like ostracizing them, not be like, you don't get it, mom, but inviting her to the conversations or inviting your parents to the conversations on like, this is what we wanted, you know, this is what we wanted when we came to this country. Um, and we should be the person that kind of changed that narrative. Mm. Um, and I would say a, a big thing for me to get like a big thing that got me through that was kind of like even like getting my mom like to talk to other people because mm. when I would do these community events I would be like talk to the people like they kind of they have the same you know shared experiences as you and that kind of made it personal for my mom too it, it like allowed her to empathize and like break that like wall of like individualistic culture of like I am only going to take care of me and my family and now she's more so like, yeah, like so many people go through this and she also found her own community through that. Like oh, finding her own community through people who have shared experiences as her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow, that is really beautiful. I, I find that so inspiring that you talk about that because some of the conversations we've been having behind the scenes have been about intergenerational solidarity. And one of the things that I often say is that there is such a divide between the older undocumented immigrants within our families and communities and just in our world and between kind of the younger undocumented community because I find that normally in some of these movements you know the younger undocumented voice is so prominent and there is kind of that um anxiety or fear I think within our parents or the older generations about like not speaking up too much, not letting people know your identity. And so much of our fight has been showing them like, no, we need to be undocumented and unafraid. And this goes into, I guess, our identities because um, we're both queer and we're both, um, and yourself being um, uh, queer, non-binary, I think that that in and of itself is its own coming out right and part of coming out in the experience and I don't know if you would agree with this is owning your identity and being proud of who you are and in the same sentiment that's kind of what our, we're telling our parents and the older generation about being undocumented is that we need to own this identity and be proud of who we are because once you do that just like the queer community you get like entered into this beautiful space of people who love you who understand your background and your experience so tell us a little bit about what that journey of self-discovery as a queer non-binary individual was and kind of how it was being undocumented and navigating both of those um turmoils especially within you know your community and your family yeah so Actually, my queer identity has been like a safe haven for me. Um, I yeah, I did start community organizing like on my own, but when I started like going into like official roles of organizing, it was through queer organizing, and a lot of what I noticed was like all these queer organizing like uh, opportunities in Chicago um, allow me to like like kind of elevate the platform for undocumented voices because the queer organizing community is huge in Chicago. It's very progressive, but the undocumented because of like the less numbers, you know, the less in numbers, which is less like people, it's, it's hard to get like political power as an undocumented person because we can't vote. So mm -hmm. having that queer identity and like bringing in my queer organizing with, and then like kind of like um, intersecting that with my undocumented um, identity made me like the movements that I was a part of or like campaigns I was a part of even like stronger because I was entering on like 
you know, undocumented queer people, because that's what it is, right? Like, if you want to make it inclusive, you have to center on the most marginalized groups. Mm -hmm. And as with like family, um, I had to come out to my mom a lot of times because she just <laughs> didn't understand it. It was kind of funny. Um, the first time I came out to my mom, she was kind of like, oh, okay. But she was kind of scared for me. Like, I think a lot of parents are scared because like I'm already undocumented. And like, she, like, you know, it's hard to grasp, especially if you're not queer. She's kind of like, you're choosing to be more oppressed. And she was scared of me, for me about that. She was like, you're undocumented and now you're queer, you know? Like you're gonna get less resources. So she that's that was her main concern. She was very supportive other than that. And I also like kind of came out to my entire family through Telemundo because they did like a segment on my identity, like just like for Pride Month, you know? Um, and that was like interesting too. But for the most part, my family, they just show concern for like the, you know, like the more being more oppressed in their eyes. And then I having to be more like, um, you know, like being more careful and even like my dom binary identity. Um, the, the, my I feel like I struggle more with like my gender than my sexual identity mm -hmm. just because of like the embedded gender roles and even like the Latina community is kind of like I don't fit into anything. Um, mm -hmm. And but then what I've learned to like with all these challenges and everything I go through with family and just like community stuff, um, my queer identity, like I said, it's just a safe haven. Like. Every time like an issue comes up, I'm like, how would how would this be like resolved the queer way? Like like you know like being queer is more than just like your gender and sexual identity. It's like a way like you just live differently. You live alternatively. You don't follow the status quo. Um, so yeah, like what would I do? Like what would queer me do? You know, like it it's been a way for me to cope. It's been a way for me to elevate issues that I care about. Um, it's gained me this big community. And I am really like proud of making it more intersectional and more like queer undocumented people like that intersectional identity is like coming up more and more. Mm -hmm. And connecting with people like that is amazing. Um, mm -hmm. In Chicago, there's actually this organization that's undocumented and queer led. And I love them. Like they've done like grassroots sex ed workshops. Yeah. And it's just like so many things that queer and undocumented people are doing because they are the center, you know, like they are one of the most marginalized groups of people. Mm. Uh, wow, I find you very inspiring. And we have to talk after this, especially <laughs> because I would love to um, connect with you and just work with you in the future. I think, um, yeah, when I came out to as well to my parents, one of the things they said, and I really agree with the sentiment that he said that. They were like, why would you want to make life harder for yourself was their thing. They were like, you're already undocumented. Why now be gay? It's just going to be more hard. Things are going to be difficult. Like, it's just going to be more challenges for you. And we don't want you to go through for that. And I find that their concern really does come from a place of fear and worry. And I think it's making sure that they understand how to communicate that fear and worry respectable because I think a lot of the times um what happens especially with maybe some of the male figures in our family um is that fear and anxiety comes out in the form of anger because emotions even within the older undocumented folks are not 
very well communicated or talked about. So they don't know what it means to express sadness or anxiety or fear or happiness. And a lot of the times when they have these very real and complex emotions, they're one, afraid to show it, two, don't know how to show it, and three, feel like if they do, they're not as strong and they feel like they have to be these strong pillars for their family. So it's easier for them to express that anger. And for anybody out there who's confused or who may not understand this in our terms as undocumented, I'll give you an example. Like, let's pretend um, you, you go out with your friends and your curfew is eight o'clock, right? And you end up coming home at nine or something and your parents are livid at you. And yes, of course, there's that like, oh, you don't respect the rules type of thing. But also they're going to be very angry with you because you stayed out later. And there's really just a lot of fear and anxiety that, oh, you stay out later, like something bad can happen at night. And rather than saying like, hey, I'm worried and I'm afraid for you. This is how I feel. They're going to go go to your room. Your phone is taken away. I'm grounding you, whatever it may be and I'm upset and I'm angry rather than being like you know what I was worried and one other thing that you mentioned was that as queer people we don't follow the status quo and I wrote that down because I think that is such a beautiful quote because we really don't follow the status quo because there is no guidebook there is no lesson there is no sex education you brought that up as well on what it means to be queer, what it means to be gay, what it means to be non-binary, and all the above. There is no guidebook on what it is like to be like this. There's not a lot of examples within our communities of what it's like to be like this. So we have to make the pathway for ourselves. And so I want to ask you, when you're making that pathway for yourselves, can you share some of the challenges you face in terms of societal acceptance and understanding? And how have you navigated some of these obstacles, especially within some of the work you do with queer and undocumented people, both personally and what have you seen in other people's lives? Yeah, so um, um, one of my main concerns is like not finding community or like having like connections because um just coming out as like non-binary first like coming out as like pansexual or just like not straight um it was kind of like okay um like some people might not like this mm -hmm. and then coming out as non-binary is kind of like people don't even understand like that mm -hmm. con can't grasp that understanding that people can be neither male or female um and so yeah like a big challenge of me was like I don't know if I can find people who are like shared my identities and also like not be white. Like there is like a white community that is really big, you know, because it's the you in the United States like seventy five percent white. So of course there's gonna be more white people who might be queer, um, and just like finding that like niche, you know, people who are like POC and non-binary or pansexual or like queer. Um, it, it was kind of in Chicago it wasn't that hard, but for me, it felt like I don't know how to kind of interact with these people. Um, and I thought that there was a specific way to be queer. So um, and I do notice that in a lot of communities, like a lot of people around that I talk to, like friends and peers, um, they also feel like they need to fit like a certain part 
of being queer, like through social, you know, like TV shows or like, um, like TikToks and influencers and stuff like that. People are always constantly trying to categorize themselves. Um, even being queer, which you're literally breaking the status quo, like they're still trying to categorize their non-status quo. And um, yeah, that, that, that was also a big obstacle for me because I'm like, what am I? Like, am I pansexual? Am I this? Am I that? Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it's like you're kind of who you are and yeah. you don't really like that's just Western, you know, like Western culture that wanting to label everything. You don't have to label yourself like I found out that my indigenous roots, some of them had like some non-binary um, like identities and they kind of were just chilling. So <laughs> <laughs> like they're not like categorizing themselves. They're like, yeah, you're a female, you know, whatever. It's, it's, just it's, like, it's a construct. It's a construct, you know, social construct. And I think a way to combat that is kind of just like gaining confidence within yourself. I know that's very like, um, you know, like very cliche, like, you know, believe in yourself, but it is true. Like, cause once I stopped giving a fuck about labels, I felt so authentically and genuinely myself. Like if people try to label me, I'm like, I'm just queer. Okay. Like you get the, you know, that one cat, you, you're not going to get anything specific. I like who I like. I am who I am. Um, and yeah, like just learn how to like be okay. Like go within yourself, reflect on yourself. Like what am like, you know, who am I? Um, and that is also like an ongoing conversation. Like I know I'm young, but I'm pretty sure this is going to continue on when I'm like older and older and like trying to figure out like how I fit into the world. But I think at some point you are going to kind of crystallize and you're like, okay, this is kind of what I am. This is, you know, very common trends, you know? So I think, um, being your authentic self always and just knowing like like what am i and not thinking about like what other like social influences because that is it is hard it's hard to be like don't pay attention to what people say because obviously we're human and we you know we want acceptance we want validation but i think working within yourself self-care you know taking care of yourself loving yourself um that is going to go a long way with trying to figure out like um i guess how you feel how you are how do you take space and stuff like that so yeah i would say studying like that would be a good idea or what has been helping me a lot lately yeah that is such a beautiful and I, you're really an incredible human but one of the things that you just said is people may not like this and also people may not understand this and I think that that is such an interesting dichotomy right there, right? Because we are now in a time where we went from people not, well, well, it was truly nobody really understood us because if they understood us, then they would at least tolerate and like us, but there's no understanding there and people are afraid. And because they're afraid, again, going back to that conversation we just had, because people are afraid, they're going to be angry and they're going to be hateful because it's easier to be like that um but you pointing out that is so interesting because for queer and undocumented people that is a reality where people may not like us but then there's also that part of people may not understand this and the fact that you're able to identify that and kind of draw attention to that is so important because that's an important aspect of being both undocumented and queer 
is needing to educate people on who we are. And I feel like I want to ask you, do you feel like it's our responsibility to educate people on who we are and shape kind of their perspective? Or do you think it's their responsibility to learn from us and to go out of their way? Or do you think it's like a, a both, it's both ways? Do you think that we need to educate and they need to be opening to listen? Yeah, I think it's um, even like me as like, I interact with people of different backgrounds. I kind of just let conversations go. And I think people should just do that. Like mm -hmm. not ask too many questions that will make people uncomfortable, mm -hmm. but like being we open. We say that as I'm asking a bunch of hard-hitting, <laughs> uncomfortable questions. But you've been great yeah. so far. <laughs> but it's not even, well, what I mean, like, like asking someone straight up, like, are you an immigrant? You know, like yeah. that's weird. That's yeah. weird. Um, like if you see a brown person, you're like, are you illegal? Like, no, like don't ask that. But kind of like from even like I, people tell me things because of how open I am. You know, like I sh kind of build that community amongst us where they literally just straight up tell me like, yeah, I was born in X Y Z, and like this is my some of my family like trauma and stuff, and I'm like, oh, interesting, and like. I notice myself learning more about different perspectives. Like they tell me and then I learn and we just have this conversation back and forth where I show empathy and compassion towards their like lived experiences and things that they share with me and I share things with them. So it's kind of like that transactional thing. You can't expect people to give you things. And I've learned that too. Like you can't expect people to just trust you historically a lot of these people have a reason not to trust you you know mm -hmm. so you gotta build community you gotta build empathy and compassion and have a relationship with them before you know you go over here asking all these questions um and i think also boundaries you know like if they set a boundary up respect that and just listen active listen like don't always just ask questions ask questions like take in what they're saying like i see you you see me we see each other type thing um yeah so yeah that's what i would say about that i think that's so important because what i'm hearing you say too is that we need to in foster an environment where people can be themselves and they can open up and that's why the queer movement and drawing from the queer movement is so important in the undocumented community because we need to draw from queer movements in order to understand that the queer movement and liberation has been all about fighting for space and creating space where people can feel that belonging. And also you say this, that like, we need to just like hear people and understand them. And I always point to people to Marie Brown and she says like, what's the thing we want to do when we want to understand somebody's experience? We listen to them, but we don't do the second part of that, which is we believe them. When somebody tells us an experience in their life that doesn't align with the reality that we know to be true, we 
don't believe them and we need to and that's not to say that we openly believe everything anybody tells us but that means when somebody tells us an experience that's different from us we open up and we say that's the life that you come from that's your lived experiences and I always tell people sometimes people just don't know what they don't know because if you grow up in an environment where that wasn't talked about those conversation wasn't had then you're going to be ignorant to it and that's okay because we're all ignorant to different topics different issues different communities and culture but that's why it's so important to create space and hold space for people to be able to be themselves so we're coming up on the end here and I just want to end with the question of looking towards the future what are your hopes and aspirations for creating a more inclusive and accepting society for both undocumented and queer individuals? And how do you envision your ongoing contrib contributions to this important work? So looking towards the future and kind of focusing on kind of that positive aspect. Um, I think just celebrating our identities, you know, we have, we come from so many different backgrounds and so many experiences and all of these things are so beautiful. Like, um, like even I was, I always tend to also kind of think about a lot of negative things that has happened to my ancestors or just people that have my identities. Um, and I also think about all the contributions they brought, like Mayan, the Mayan Kishé community brought, you know, chocolate and jeans. And it's just like important to acknowledge those like accomplishments, even though it's like, yeah, chocolate and jeans, yeah. Um, but also just like, like even your traditions, like a lot of what I inspire, like a lot of the community events that I plan are inspired by the um, Carnaval Mazateco that I used, they used to have in my like home city back in Guatemala. And yeah, just like honing into that, like remember all the good, remember all the like positive things and then like make that like, you know, 10 times that, you know, like share that, share that. Um, even I wanna even like talk about this one experience that like, this was like a beautiful way of like celebrating culture and intersectionality. Last year when I was, I was a part of this camp called Action Camp. It's for queer high school students to come in and I do like, uh, there's like youth leaders that do workshops and I was one of the youth leaders and we also planned like events. We did this mixer. It was majority white, but I kind of like invited them to learn salsa, you know, like I taught them some salsa moves and bachata moves and it was so fun, like, like yeah. seeing the queer Latino, like the minority queer Latinos and black um, queer people come into with like white queer people and we were just like dancing mm -hmm. and I don't know it's just like so beautiful when you can come in through culture through traditions through dance and like show appreciation and mm -hmm. yeah I just think honing into that I think going whenever we think about organizing also think about like how can we make it like enjoyable and fun for people you know like let's give people groceries but like let's play music or you know like make it look pretty I think not all of these things have to be like boring and like <laughs> ear grocery, you know, you can make it fun, make it like a little celebration and hone into like even like Latinidad and, you know, um, just hone into like that celebratory thing that we have in our culture. Um, yeah, I would say just like 
keep it positive, you know, bring joy, have joy, let's throw joy, let's, you know, be very positive and bring people up instead of like, you know, talk about mass genocide and like colonization all the time. <laughs> Which is true, you know, it's like a like important thing to talk about, but sometimes those conversations are so dreadful and it's like, oh my God, you know? Kind of focusing on recognizing and appreciating the past and the history, but also being present in the moment and realizing that there's work to be done. But while we're doing that work, we can love, we can empathize, we can hold each other, and we can do it by listening to some fun music, learning each other's dance, eating one another's food, doing art that heals, and really, really just building community. So on that note, I want to thank you so much. And I want to thank everybody for listening and joining us on this series. Again, um, you could get uh hear more about uh Yamani's essay published um let this radical you reflections from new activists and organizers and we'll post the link for that thank you so much for everyone listening and thank you for joining us today i'm gonna end the recording yeah, that's fun